Hey, everybody, it is Tuesday. Yes, it, we're just starting to climb the mountain, just crawling our way up. This is we this got, is pitch day. This is the hard our day. Crampons and our ice picks out, and yeah. we and are rocks gonna are make falling it. on our heads. It's rocks windy up here. <laughs> on our heads. We're going to make it up this hill. And this hill is a big one. Today, big uh, we're going to dig into the crypto contagion. We have possibly a rescuer or maybe a vulture situation <laughs> happening here. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is stepping in to backstop crypto lenders and investors and BlockFi are rallying to raise funds to avoid having their equity wiped out by FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah, I mean, when the market comes apart like this, there are opportunities and people who have a lot of cash. What I under from what I understand, uh, Sam ha has a big cash position um, that he may have sold crypto at the right time and built a cash position for just this type of moment. Uh, then we're going to check on in on the billions of dollars that are sitting in SPACs. Uh, so as we remember, my friend Shamath had done a bunch of these SPACs and then a lot of other people came in, maybe the upwards of a 1000 SPACs were created. Well, they have a time um, limitation on them. And so we're going to talk about what happens if the IPO market doesn't open to all of those facts. Yep. And then we're going to do a, a quick hit on the venture market drying up in Q2 and who could be disproportionately affected by that. And then, of course, startup of the day and everybody's favorite. We live in the future. Yeah. I mean, I saw this crazy mock-up of the <laughs> uh, nuclear airliner that stays in the air for years with 5,000 people on it. Can't wait to... Uh, talk about that so and it's gonna be a great show it's gonna be a great show stick with us this week in startups is brought to you by imbroker imbroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle save up to 20 percent off of traditional insurance today at imbroker.com slash twist while you're there Get an extra 10% off using offer code TWIST. Lemon.io. Need to speed up your product development without draining your budget? Hire vetted engineers from Europe at Lemon.io. Go to Lemon.io slash TWIST to get 15% off for the first four weeks. And Thorn. Thorn empowers people to take control of their long-term well-being with a proactive, science-based approach to health. Through a variety of at-home tests, Thorne teaches you about what your body needs and provides the right, high-quality, certified nutritional supplements for you. To get started and take 10% off your first order, head to thorne.com slash you slash twist. All right, uh, let's get right into the crypto collapse already in progress. Mm. Updates include uh, a new hero has arrived on the uh. scene. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried seems to be acting as the crypto industry's personal backstop right now. He is buying the dip big time and possibly some companies along mm. with it. The big news Monday yesterday was that crypto lender Voyager Digital issued a notice of default to Three Arrows Capital which we talked about on a previous show after they failed to make a loan payment of 15,250 Bitcoin, roughly $300 million at current prices, um, and $350 million in USD for about $650 million total. That's what they owed. They could not pay it. Voyager is publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And mm. then after this default, its share price fell more than 60% mm. when it announced its exposure to three arrows capital. So to restore confidence that it's not going to go bankrupt, 
Voyager announced that it's drawn $75 million of this emergency $200 million credit line that was Mm -hmm. provided by Alameda Ventures, which is an arm of Alameda Research, which is a hedge fund founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF. So Voyager was making loans to three hours capital. They had a bunch of leverage from what I understand. They get wiped out. Now Sam wants to buy it. And I'm wonder, wondering what he is buying. What is the core business of Voyager? Voyager like, is, let's see, well, it appears to be a lender. Lender, yeah. Of crypto mm-hmm. and probably cash backed by crypto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's so then, do some of what its What is he going to buy? Is like, that's what I'm wondering, what he, why he, he wants it. I understand why do he you think wants, he wants Robin Hood. Right. What I wonder he, if he wants he its want assets. Does he want its crypto assets? So like as of yeah. June 24th, Voyager had $137 million of cash and crypto assets on hand. In Q1, mm-hmm. it had a net loss of $61 million on revenue of $102 million. Huh. So the only thing I can think of that he might want is the crypto assets. Yeah, but uh, he could just go buy those on the open market. So that, that was the one I couldn't figure out exactly what's going on Good here. Point. Maybe some folks in crypto could explain what is the asset he wants to buy here? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, is he? it's not a form of charity, obviously. If he's giving him this money as a line of credit, he's going to get something for it. Um, I mean, do you think he just wants to keep the ecosystem healthy, though? Like make sure Voyager doesn't go under? Yeah, to what end? I mean, if Voyager does go under, how does that affect him is I guess what I'm wondering. So, you know, this is one of the things about this opaque industry, you know, yeah. and when you see somebody make a, a major bet here, like this $250 million um, line of credit, uh, or $200 million line of credit, why would they do that is, you know, yeah. uh, what I'm trying to figure out here, because if, if it's because he wants the crypto assets, well, can he just he, Sam runs FTX in exchange, you could just buy more Bitcoin or Ethereum. So well, sure, but you could also, if you go with your contagion theory, yeah. and Voyager goes under, and somebody else goes under, and somebody else goes under, and then it just yeah. takes this, creates this huge cascade yeah. that makes the whole system go to zero. He might be trying to say strategically, these are important cogs, mm-hmm. and I need them to stay functioning so that this ecosystem continues yeah. to flourish, so that I make money on all these investments. Yeah. So. This is all related to that three hours capital, and they provided a loan to them. So I guess this contagion is three hours capital to Voyager. And then I guess the theory is Sam is backstopping it for some reason to stop the contagion train. Mm, But still hard to understand. Yes. Voyager earns money by loaning out cryptocurrency, then taking a spread fee on buy orders. If they buy crypto for less than what an investor expected to buy it at, they take a fee. Hmm. Total verified users on the platform were 3.51 million. So that's what it is. Voyager has a platform of users. So this is starting to make sense to me. What Sam is trying to consolidate is maybe the user accounts. So he probably thinks crypto is going to rebound. This is 3.5 million user accounts. There was the reports that he wanted to do a takeover of Robinhood. They have upwards of 20 million accounts. Now you have 23.5 million accounts. I don't know how many accounts FTX has. But maybe he's going to go around and just consolidate accounts across all the crypto accounts, uh, you know, that are available to him to buy. Maybe. Maybe. That would be a a better theory, maybe. I mean, I think Um, you could do either, right? You could, I think either of them is reasonable. Either one, he's trying to keep this ecosystem alive because he has a massive amount of capital invested in it. And, and, and likely it's an and, and, and also he can keep this ecosystem alive and start to lock up everybody who's part of it. 
yeah, and make them his the customer. Right. Yeah. So if you can, if the math would be, if they have three and a half million, you could actually do this back of the envelope. If you gave them 200 million, they got three and a half million uh, accounts. You could actually put a value on the accounts. Let's say he expects them to default on this 200 million and he's going to own the majority of the business. Because the when you give these loans, the asset is the business, the user accounts, the IP, all that. So maybe he thinks he can convert these credit lines into ownership, um, which is typically right. how they would work. You, you would default actually, on them and he would get the asset. That is the perfect setup for the second okay. part of Sam Bankman-Fried's activities okay. here, which is that through his other venture, FTX, he has agreed to provide a different distressed crypto lender, BlockFi, okay. with another revolving mm -hmm. credit facility, $250 million in this case. And then... Coindesk reported that Anthony Pompliano, otherwise known as Pomp, Pomp in the yeah. crypto world, is trying to gather a group of investors together to put together an alternative rescue package for BlockFi mm. because they say FTX's $250 million credit line would, quote, effectively wipe out all BlockFi shareholders, including Morgan Creek Digital. So there's some mechanism by which if BlockFi takes full advantage of this $250 million line of credit from Sam Bankman-Fried, He'll own everything. Yeah. So when you get into a distress situation, the most recent money in becomes the most senior money. All the other money uh, will get wiped out, moved to con you know uh, common share. So let's say you know they had raised BlockFi had raised five hundred million in their Series E when they were valued at four point seven five billion. If nobody offers them any money and they're going to go out of business, and Sam says, "Hey, I'll give you this two hundred fifty million, but it converts into equity," you know, at a I don't know, $500 million valuation, since nobody else will put money into this thing. Yeah, um, then I own half the company, but all the other shares then convert into common, uh, and they get wiped out or, you know, severely uh, pushed back. So this is what we will see in startups as well. And this is when we talk about a down round or a recapitalization in the industry commonly known as a recap. A recap can occur, Molly, where you just basically define new terms. We're going to give 90% of the company to the newest person for this 250 million. That's what they're offering us. Everybody else goes down to 10%. So I've had these situations. And then your only recourse is to beat the worst deal out there, the mm -hmm. worst and only deal, this, this horrible deal. If mm -hmm. you won't beat that deal, what you're saying is I won't eat it, it. There's like a certain baseball auction to this, which is like, okay, I'll pay 250k, $250 million to own 90% of this. Mm -hmm. Now you could say, okay, I'll pay 251 to own 80% of this, I'll give a better deal, more cash, less ownership. And then the board can take that deal. But if there's no other deals, and the clock is ticking, the other shareholders have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is what happens in a really tight market. And this is why I remember everybody was saying sitting on cash. Oh, you know, if you sit on cash, you're stupid because you got to get it into the market. If you don't have it in equities, stack paper, people stack yeah, but, paper. Well, yeah, and, and that's a true statement if the market's going up and, you know, there's inflation and they're printing all this money. But in a market where everything collapses, man, having cash can be really a nice asset to buy things. I'm going to be very quick today. You need to understand what cyber insurance is. Obviously, this covers hacks, which happen more than you think, especially in these crazy times. You want to be protected, so you want to have your cyber insurance set up. If you don't have business insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a founder and having investors, you need to protect yourself, you need to protect the downside and startups should look no further than in broker In brokers technology saves you time and money prices are up to 20% lower with better coverage than incumbents. 
Go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. When you work with Embroker instead of the big incumbents, you're not dealing with these large, slow corporations. And sign up with Embroker takes days, not weeks. The process is totally transparent. There's no opaque pricing. There's no annoying incumbents standing in your way of just GSD. You got to get stuff done, okay? And let's face it, these slow incumbents, they're not going to get it done, okay? So to instantly buy custom-built insurance for startups, go to imbroker.com slash twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. And while you're there, you're going to get an extra 10% off, I kid you not, by using my code twist, T-W-I-S-T. Our noty extra jobs just said SBF might end up the richest person on the planet by 2024 because he can make these moves now. And actually, in in reaction to this, and this is where our hero narrative becomes our shark narrative, right? Uh, After this news broke about these bailouts or loans... Uh, or acquisition attempts disguised as bailouts and loans. Packy McCormick from Not Boring tweeted, comparing FTX to a central bank is dumb because at first it does start to sound like, oh, he's the Fed, right? He's just mm-hmm. backstopping all of this. He's doing um, quantitative easing. Yeah. But he said, oh, no, no, FTX is this crashes Berkshire at the height of the global yeah. financial collapse. Warren stepped in and made an absurdly good $5 billion preferred stock investment in Goldman. Yeah. In 2011, he made a $5 billion warrant investment in B of A and restored confidence and made bank. Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to make these crazy bets, uh, we call it catching a knife in the industry. If you're willing to try to catch the knife, which it could stab you, it could Mm -hmm. hit your foot, it could hit your hand, it could slice your hand open, maybe it hits a vein, an artery, who knows? Catching knives is, you know, possible, but it's also very dangerous, which is why the terms need to reflect that. So these terms, although they might seem sharky, or they might seem crazy compared to what happened last year in terms of, you know, them being overvalued, if they're the only one, they're they're the only offer, by definition, it's a good offer. Because you only got one offer, by definition is the best of the offers. Yeah, Uh, the best and only. Um, I will say fintech investor Justin Overdorf is seems to share my theory a little bit about uh, Bankman Free just trying to rescue an industry in which he's heavily invested. He said, come on, in response to Packy McCormick, one, did Berkshire and Buffett rely on Goldman existing as in was Goldman Sachs a material input into their business? That is the case with uh, BlockFi potentially and Voyager with respect to Sam Bankman Free and where all his money lives. And then he said, too, a $5 billion Goldman Sachs deal didn't shape the confidence of an entire sector economy. I actually think number two is somewhat debatable, um, but it's a good contrast. Yeah. Uh, similarly, uh, we remember Silver Lake um, tried to catch the knife um, with Airbnb. Beginning of COVID, they put a billion dollars in. And that was with, you know, Airbnb's revenue going to zero. So if you believe in the fundamentals of the business, if you believe the crisis will abate, you know, these are really interesting bets to make. So you don't um, think there's any self-dealing here? What is it called? And when you when you catch try and catch the knife, but you successfully do it, catching the handle? Yeah, I mean... Catching the hilt? Yeah, you, you caught the hilt. Yeah, I like that. You hilted it. Yeah, they hilted it. They caught the hilt. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. Anyway, this will be a story to follow and to, yes. and to try to unpack the, um, you know, motives here. Well, and then here, look at this. Like, BlockFi's investors include Tiger Global, SoftBank, NEA, Lightspeed, and Paradigm. If we were to look, all of those firms have large cash reserves. They have large amounts of money. So they, they're they going to let this go, and they won't provide the $250 million credit line or a better deal. Yeah. Um, you know, 
that is uh, that speaks volumes in their confidence in this business. This to me is a vote of no confidence either in the management or the sector, I would say it's probably the latter. Um, so they just believe after putting all this money in Tiger, SoftBank, NEA, Lightspeed and Paradigm, if they will not beat um, Sam's offer, I think they're saying they don't believe in the business or the crypto space itself, uh, to a certain right. extent. And that yeah. we don't know, right? Because they're trying to create this alternative rescue package. So the, I guess the I guess. question is whether that goes through. If it doesn't, you're yeah. absolutely right. Then these these investors are basically saying, we're going to walk away and we're seeding yeah. the entire field to SBF. But they're right? handing the keys back. Like, you know, you it's go. like, you know, we don't care what deposit we had on this house. We're just giving the lender the keys. It's like giving the keys. I'm not going to pay the mortgage. I'm out. Here's the keys. You, yeah. you go try to sell it. Um, and somewhat related, uh, SBF bought 7.6% stake in Robinhood in May. I still have my shares, um, which also has a significant crypto business and a really great brand and a really great product. So it seems to me like he is just trying to round up as many accounts as possible. And uh, no, that's a smart idea. Yeah. I mean, kind of like may, what Zuckerberg did, right? He may turn out to be the ultimate shark in this story. Or he's going to wind up having a knife in each foot. Or slice his hand over. He's going to be, <laughs> he's going to be like a <laughs> magic show gone wrong when yeah, they throw the it. knives. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, and, they, and FT, FTX had raised like almost $2 billion. $2 billion so I guess I he's think, leveraging yeah. that and then. Yep. Uh, I know. Okay. It's I mean, honestly, we'll see. It's gonna be fascinating. SBF, if you're listening, come on the show. Come on the pod. Come yeah, on the show. I bit my own tongue trying to say those words out loud. Um, all right. Speaking of the crypto dip, Tether was back in the news again yesterday. Uh, yes. Can't my get enough tether. <laughs> Can't get enough tether. According to a report in the Wall Street Journal, multiple hedge funds have shorted Tether. In surprising news, in trades worth hundreds of millions of dollars, most of these short trades are being uh, reportedly executed through Genesis Global Trading, which is one of the largest crypto brokerages for professional investors, speaking of walking away and, you know, leaving the keys. Leon Marshall, Genesis's head of institutional sales, said to the Wall Street Journal, quote, there's been a real spike in the interest from traditional hedge funds who are taking a look at Tether and looking to short it. Hmm. Yeah. He said so, the main reasons, going? sorry, are... Um, because one, it's a bet against the broader economy. So they just mm -hmm. think there's going to be a drop generally that will affect Tether and everything else. And then two, it's a bet against the quality of Tether's reserves. Um, yeah. So Which this is, is a very interesting, interesting one. We've mm -hmm. been covering this forever. And if you look at Tether's market cap, which isn't a function of the price of the Tether shares changing, it's just how many people own Tethers, right? So if you look at the one year chart for Tether, you can see a year ago, you know, they had um, a market cap of 61.9 billion, 62 billion, let's say. That, that means there were $62 billion worth of Tether bought. It's not up going up or down a dollar, right? It's pegged at a dollar. Mm -hmm. And they have some amount of assets that they've invested in with the money that people have given them for these stable coins, right? So stable coin is one to one with a dollar, hopefully. And people were using this more and more and more. So uh, sometime around... Uh, June 1st, they peaked at $83 billion in uh, deposits, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, to buy these stable coins. And then uh, when the market started collapsing, people really uh, started to cash out. These are one for one chips. So this would be like a bunch of people in a casino, there's $83 billion in chips in a casino. And people go, you know what, I'm going home, I'm leaving Vegas, I don't want to 
own these aria chips or the wind chips hmm. so i'm going to get real cash i'm going to give my chips back so th this redemption started uh in in uh looks like january march april may 8th and uh man what a steep drop so if we could change that chart to a one-year chart you would see this 83 billion going all the way down to 72 billion in um june and then now here we are almost hitting july and they're down to 66 billion hmm. so they've had almost 20 billion in redemptions they claim that shows how great the company is they have the cash to let people cash in their chips uh there'll be no run on the bank is their position that they have more than enough liquid assets to do this and so that is i think what people are betting on is that they like luna um you know depegged that they'll depeg and because their assets maybe they have 20 billion assets maybe they have 40 billion assets but if mm -hmm. this thing people i believe the bet is at some point they run out of the ability to share the assets and then people start selling their tethers for whatever they can get on the dollar like a classic run on the bank and yeah. therefore if somebody created a device to short it then it would depeg and you would be able to get that difference well and like you were saying if you want to be able to sustain a run you need to have assets equivalent to the run and so um what these short sellers are saying is that they believe most of tether's commercial paper holdings are backed by debt-ridden chinese property developers yep. tether says no 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 we maintain an equivalent amount of reserves that includes this commercial paper corporate short-term loans bank deposits precious metals government bonds and digital tokens as we have discussed at length there is no way to verify that it, right. because this is totally opaque so nobody really knows what tether's holdings consist of um we should they will that not do an audit they, they will not do an audit do an, what's called an attestation which an attestation means somebody looked in a bank account saw a number and then said okay this is my understanding of it um whereas an audit they would actually look at each of the individuals and they don't disclose what they had or or you know how these are these things are mixed up so you did say they own tokens how many tokens which of the tokens do they own exactly how those change right um yep. and, and who knows which like, government bonds and what yes. commercial, commercial paper, yeah, paper exactly yeah. all of that is important to know uh because what if their commercial paper is trading at 50 cents on the dollar or whatever competition for great engineering talent is really intense we all know that and a lot of startups are struggling to hire fast enough to keep up with their roadmap and the demands of their, you know, competitive space. You need to have great developers if you want to compete. And if you want to hire better developers and you want to do it faster, you need a trusted source of pre-vetted candidates. That's the key, people. You want to use Lemon.io. They will tell you if this person's legit and if they should be working at your company. They have a network of engineers from Europe and Latin America, and every candidate has been tested and interviewed by their team. Here is how Lemon.io can make your engineering team bionic. No wasting time with unqualified candidates. Easy access to global talent. Plus, they can get your developer up and running within a week. And of course, it's more affordable. At launch, we know Lemon.io is a great solution because our portfolio founders have used it. Okay, Drew Fabricant said Lemon.io was a game changer for his startup Scout. Drew was under the gun to hire a developer with a very specific skill set, and Lemon.io delivered a great candidate quickly, and he says they were a pleasure to work with. So go to Lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off your first four weeks. But there's yeah. all these theories out there, but this guy Paolo, who's Bitfinex and Tether's uh, CTO, he um, did a whole tweet storm, which maybe to me felt a little bit like trying too hard or maybe they've cleaned up their house it could go either way 
I mean, to me, this just this sounded like you could almost word for word paste some Elon tweets onto Paolo's tweets, right? About shorts. Like he's like, yeah. these are they're trying to cause further panic yeah. so that they make their money. He says, I quote, I've been open about the attempts from such he- some some hedge funds that were trying to cause further panic on the market after the Terra Luna collapse. It really seemed from the beginning a coordinated attack with a new wave of FUD, troll armies, clowns, etc. And then said, uh, went on to address these specific concerns, saying Tether's looking to cut its commercial paper exposure from 45 billion to eight and a half billion roughly over the co- coming months and says that many crypto hedge funds were taking much bigger risks than Tether itself ever took actually mm. um you know fud is a thing in the industry so that Fear, is a- uncertainty and doubt we should yes yeah. so if you take a short position then you put out your research and mm-hmm. you say here's my short position here's my theory you know tesla can't uh deliver the cars they have the deposits for they're late yada yada there's not enough batteries in the world whatever and then it's up to the company to actually deliver the cars <laughs> and yeah. You know, uh, eventually one side has to win. And I think what's happened here is, um, you know, he might be pointing to this very small bet. If it's hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions in shorts, let's just pick a number. Um, if it was 600 million, you know, uh, which if they were describing it as if it was close to a billion, they would have said close to a billion. They said a couple mm-hmm. hundred million. So 600 mm-hmm. million sounds pretty good. 600 million, if you were to look at that, uh, would be 1% short. So having a 1% short position against you really isn't that big of a deal. Um, some might argue that's a healthy thing to have people consider shorts in their best a way to protect investors from fraud in the market because they're yep. willing to take this bet to push something down. Now, of course, they do have an incentive to spread the fear and get people to sell the shares. Exactly. So there is some truth to that as well. The thing that was very interesting about Paolo's um, and we've invited him on the pod, um, but I think after his CNBC uh, with Deirdre Bosa uh, or the interview that they did, I think it was him uh, or somebody from Tether. I don't think they've done any media since then because it, it made the situation worse. But he said Tether is looking to cut its commercial paper exposure from $45 billion to $8.4 billion over the coming months and says that many crypto hedge funds uh, were taking much bigger risks than Tether ever took. Mm-hmm. so again you know pointing but it, it, this would all be cleared up if they just simply 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 did an audit uh with a firm that wasn't you know like on an island somewhere in the caribbean you know just I generally mean, speaking like get a big audit firm like ernst and young uh or whoever you know price warehouse cooper somebody um and yeah yeah i mean i it's it, <laughs> if in fact uh, Tether, who does all these things that look like banking, yeah. was uh, required to act like a, a, ba- a bank regulated, and yeah. Yeah, be audited right. and be regulated in some way and protect cons- customer assets and all of that, then probably a lot of this could be cleared up and it wouldn't have to just be like poo flinging. Yeah. By, you know, people this would be super, side. super easy for them to uh, resolve. I've told I've talked about other theories people have. These are theories that are on the Internet from a bunch of different folks. Uh, who cover this they one theory is that they do the reason they're so b- bold while being so opaque so why would you be bold in making these um you know statements while also not wanting to share information it's a weird conundrum right like if you have the technology elizabeth holmes theranos show it if you can deliver the cars tesla deliver the cars right 
So when these market moments happen, you just can look at people's behavior. Like, did the cars get delivered? Are people, you know, when you go to school drop off, do you see Tesla Model S's and or do you see Model 3s, right? Because that was the big debate, I think. They never deliver the Model 3. Yeah. Well, when you start seeing Model 3s everywhere, I think we've answered the debate. When you see your friends driving them and you see the sales numbers, we're we're done here. With Theranos, remember she was going to show the technology. It was that big grand moment. She was going to go to a conference and then she canceled at the last minute. Yes. There totally. was like, and, and it was just a hand wringing. So I think this is like one of these hand wringing moments of put up or shut up. So right. why would this is what I'm thinking on game theory, Molly, if you actually have more than enough money to cover it, you have over $60 billion is what they're saying. We have more than enough. So mm-hmm. if it's 62 billion now more than enough to me it would be 70 billion. So you got the 65 70 billion sitting around you got more than enough to cover. Why wouldn't you be transparent? And mm-hmm. if you were banned in New York from doing this and Canada and other places, you know, mm-hmm. why would you not be transparent? Do you have a theory? I have one, but I'm just curious if you or if anybody in the who's watching live here at youtube.com slash this weekend, uh, or this week in startups.com slash YT. Is that our quick URL? I think so. Um, slash why YouTube, would well, they so you're saying if you had the assets, why would you, you not have show the it? assets, but you still won't disclose the details of the assets? What would be a reason for that, right? It, the the reason to not show them is mm-hmm. you don't have them, right? right? So that's an easy one. Okay, you're lying. But so assuming that you do and you don't want to show it, then right. which is their we, position, right? Are their we position also is assuming we that it. the assets are good? Because I feel yes. like if you have the assets but you don't want to show it, it's because your assets are super sketchy. Okay, so let's say the assets are bulletproof. They got more than enough. They've factored in some bad debt, you know, some of this commercial paper, they discounted some other things, you know, whatever. So let's just say they're more than good, which mm-hmm. is what their position is. We're totally mm-hmm. fine. We're more than good, but they won't show the details. So let's agree with them. Okay, you're more than okay. good. You're more so than we'll, good. Well, we believe them is what I'm saying. Yeah. Hard to do with Tether because of their behavior. But if we do believe Tether, you're completely telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody telling the truth? If Elizabeth Holmes is telling the truth. Right. Why wouldn't she show the machine? I think we learned that she wasn't telling the truth. With Elon and the Tesla Model 3, he was telling the truth. Everybody right. got the car. It won awards, yada, yada. So now, what in this situation, if they have, if people I are spreading FUD. The only reason I can think that I would not show my perfectly good, amazing pile of assets is if I knew I was already in trouble and some feds somewhere were going to seize them. Okay. Hmm. That's a good theory. So That's all I got. Your I, turn. No, I think you came close to nailing. Yeah. What if? The way they acquired all those assets and have more than enough okay, uh-huh. was done mm-hmm. in a way that maybe broke securities law or did something nefarious. Mm-hmm. So if I took your money as a money manager, right? Let's just pretend Tether's a money manager. I take your money, Molly. I say, hey, I'm going to get you, you know, I'm going to beat the markets. Markets do 7% a year. I'm going to beat it. Let's say I go to Vegas. I play in a poker tournament. I do some blackjack and I come back and I've got, you know, 32% returns for you. And I'm like, here's your returns. And you're like, oh, yeah, can I see how you did that? And I'm like, yeah, nope. Here's an attestation, not a details. Mm-hmm. So in this equivalent, what if they bet on a bunch of crypto? They weren't supposed to do that with your assets. What if they, right. you totally. know, yep. you, you know, were flipping stuff in a way that maybe was either shady, gray area, outright illegal so maybe a bunch happened in the u.s that was illegal but it was supposed to be over here yeah totally it will there reveal could be things it is don't... because it will reveal something if exactly. indeed the assets exist although i think we can safely assume they probably don't exist. 
I, you know, I, I, you have to keep an open mind here because we yeah. don't have the information. But my God, when a company acts this squirrely, mm-hmm. they're kind of feeding into it. They're not coming out and like just sharing it. If they, the, the best thing for them to do would be say, hey, listen, everybody wants to talk about the Chinese commercial paper. Here's the Chinese commercial paper. Yeah. And actually, we've sold it. So just give us updates on a regular basis. There's right? no Evergrande. There's none. There's zero. Evergrande yeah, is unconnected, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, well, on this question, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, maybe we should just touch on USDC and te- USDT. So Tether mm-hmm. versus Circle, Circle here based in the United States. This was the chart they were showing earlier. So will this flippening happen? And it looks like it's upon us. So since May 5th, Tether's market cap has declined by 16 billion, down 20% from 83 billion to 67 billion. And during that time, Circle's USD coin has added 7 billion in market cap, up 15% from 48 billion to 55 billion. So the flippening is about to happen. In which crypto investors are moving into safer assets. They're flipping out of Tether and into USDC because they see that as a safer asset. USDC is run in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, is going public. Uh, they filed to go public. I don't think they have yet. Um, and so that is, and it's run by a very trusted uh, US founder, uh, Jeremy Allaire. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like, I think, pitching themselves as the really tight ship um, in terms of USDC is doing more audit like stuff. And mm-hmm. I think they made, a commitment to only hold really, really uh, tight assets. So, yeah. yeah. But they, I think, oh, they did cancel their SPAC, but uh, they're going to go public. So, they, and they're just going for like being a US base as opposed to an international company. Um, yeah. yeah. Listen, dealing with your personal health and wellness can be daunting, probably being bombarded by ads on social media and you have no idea where to start, I feel your pain. Well, that's why Thorne created a care system that's personalized, preventative, and holistic while still being science-backed. And if you're a high-performing founder or operator, you need to make sure you take care of your health. Health is wealth, and you need to be focused for your team, especially in trying times like this. And that's where Thorne can help. Thorne offers at-home tests which identify where you need the most care, like a gut test that analyzes your gut microbiome and a stress test that measures your stress hormone fluctuations. These tests help eliminate the guesswork for good health by providing personalized steps for how to eat, how to exercise, and what supplements you should take. Then they have a range of great multivitamins and supplements you can subscribe to, and Thorne is totally vertically integrated. So you're not dealing with anyone in the middle. Again, this is personalized health and wellness. To get started and take 10% off your first order, head to thorne.com slash u slash twist. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com slash the letter U slash twist today to save 10% and let them know you came from this week in startups, which is always good for the pot. And I think on that question of if it looks and quacks and walks like a bank, it's probably a bank. Um, SEC chair Gary Gensler was on CNBC's Squawk on the Street yesterday, just FYI, talking about how most tokens do, in fact, have the makeup of securities except he noted Bitcoin, which he said mm-hmm. looked like a commodity. So we're, we're, we're starting to circle in, starting to catch the snap here. Yeah. On the regulator side. Here's, uh, here's uh, the double G, 25 seconds C on the side. And many of these financial assets, crypto financial assets, uh, have the key attributes of a security. So some of them, they're under the Securities and Exchange Commission. Some 
like Bitcoin, and that's the only one, Jim, I'm going to say, because I'm not going to talk about any one of these tokens. But sure, uh, my predecessors and others have said they're they're. So that's really telling. So, you know, we've been wondering and we've had these conversations. Uh, in fact, when I had Jesse from Kraken on, you know, he was like, just tell us, just tell us, us what to do. Yeah, yeah, just make it clear. And so I think they've been clear that securities laws haven't changed. The crypto industry has been telling everybody these are utility tokens. These are not securities. I've been saying, well, if you're flipping them as a venture capitalist and, you know, returning money to your LPs and the public are buying them and they're talking about them on message boards and they're not using the utility, but they're talking about them like they're investments. Right. I think basically how people them use them. And reselling and lend- lending against them and assigning sure. interest to them. I mean, you Great are point. to yeah. fully financialize this product and turn it into, oh, uh, what's the word again? A security. Yes. And so, <laughs> you know, I th- you can, as a technologist, you know, and as an entrepreneur, explain whatever theory you want. But you've got to convince the regulator um, that this is the case. And if the market is using your product in a different way, you know, like if Airbnb wants to say we're not competing with hotels, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you can make that claim. But if people are buying them instead of buying hotel rooms and you see hotel rooms plummet in Paris and Airbnbs go up, you, you, you may not be able to make that claim. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I think this is what my eyes can see is in fact, the truth. I mean, it's just, it's It's so obvious to everybody who just is in being intellectually honest. Now, if you really wanted your token to not be used for speculation like this, you would not want it listed on exchanges, Mm -hmm. you would just sell it direct to people who use it. Mm -hmm. So with airline miles, can you go into your uh, robin hood account and trade your airline miles no not that i know of mm-hmm. uh, maybe someone can correct me if i'm wrong if I you can, like, can you? Be i don't cool. know <laughs> that'd be kind of that'd be kind of dope that would be so cool i'm in <laughs> i want to buy some i got a million yeah. united and i got a million bomb boys i'm trying to use i'd love to throw those two million up there and start trading them but if they did put those miles up there and they started trading them like you can buy them direct right you can buy direct from the airline but they're not creating a marketplace of these. You, I can't take a loan against my million United miles. Right. Right. To your point. God, this is just um, getting better and better, though. I mean, I really were, want you to. Toby, yeah, where are you? Yeah. But I can't take my United miles um, and just Trading buy for them. Starbucks cash. Yeah. Well, I think you can actually buy Starbucks cards. So they do have an exchange where you can trade it for non-cash assets. And gift cards is one of them. And that's actually what I do with most of my points is I just buy gift cards and I give them on the holidays out to folks, you know, like service providers, whatever, give my gardener a $50 gift card or whatever, try to be a nice guy, you know. Um, And so I think that's the difference here. So yes, just to be clear, uh, that was the claim of a major US crypto exchange. I'm not sure if Coinbase ever got uh, actually named as the one they were trying to lobby in, in the SEC. But that's, that's what he's dancing around is XRP. That's a big controversy because that is the big one. That is being litigated right now by the SEC. That's the yep. canary in the coal mine. We'll see what happens with that case. Probably be Let's settled. Talk hmm. about a whole other <laughs> uh, thing that looked walked and quacked like a duck. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, appears to maybe be a duck. A different innovative asset class. Yes, that's in a little bit of trouble right now. Spacs. Yes. Um, well over. A hundred billion dollars is sitting in these specs, these special uh, purpose acquisition companies, vehicles, yeah. blank check companies, 
Um, it's just sitting there waiting to be invested. According to Bloomberg, uh, though, SPAC momentum has slowed significantly and IPOs are on pace this quarter to raise about $2 billion on 18 registrations. And if that forecast holds, it will represent a staggering decline of 94% from 299 uh, uh company registrations to 18 mm-hmm. yeah, why are so these deals yeah i mean there's a bunch of more well i mean for people who don't know spac pe- special purpose acquisition company is it's just another way to get your company public mm-hmm. in this case a promoter like chamath was uh, one of the promoters for his SPACs. they go find a great asset you trust that person they find an asset you put your money into the SPAC. then they kind of do this thing called despacking where they basically say, hey, okay, now we're going to be a public company, all this money is going to go into the company. Um, and they typically come out at $10 a share. I've talked about how, you know, this would increase the number the amount of inventory in the market. That's a good thing. We had half the number of publicly traded companies, it would be good for strong companies to go public. Yeah, but like many things, uh, yep. SPACs seemed really easy. Uh, and, you know, I think they cost $10 million to set up. So the promoters have to have some skin in the game, they have to put up this money. Uh, to set them up and it costs millions and millions of dollars in legal fees, et cetera. And then you have to go uh, raise money and, and basically, um, you know, get people to participate in them. So they also have a time clock on them. And so SPACs themselves are not a bad or a good thing. It's just a financial instrument. It's like saying, mm-hmm. you know, a safe or a safe note or a convertible note. It's just a, a, a financial device. But the devil's in the details, which company you're taking out? And does the public want and to have a market for IPOs right now? The IPO window is kind of closed right now. So the question is, with this violent swing, if the public doesn't want IPOs and and, uh, institutional investors are kind of not into equities right now Mm -hmm. and they don't want to put money to work, well, then who's going to invest in these SPACs when they do go out and... That means a lot of people who registered these, I think there's 709 active SPACs, and they're going to run out of time. So people have been doing some statistics on this, because you usually have, I think, three years or something to find a company. So you create a SPAC, you have the pool of capital, you go buy the company, and then you announce it in DSPAC. Well, the clock's ticking. Because these companies aren't, yeah, the deals are just not happening. Why do we think the deals are not happening? Is it because the market has lost confidence in the vehicle? I mean, I think it did become, like you said, a little bit too easy. It started to get this reputation as like, this is how you skirt scrutiny. The regular IPO process. Right. Skirt scrutiny, really, into your governance and your finances. And then a couple of these high profile companies that did go public, like didn't perform that well. There's, you know, skepticism about the EV companies, for example, that went public. Yeah. So it, it, the basic problem, I believe, is that yeah. a lot of these private companies maybe aren't ready to be public because public investors are trading so frequently. They're not taking a 10-year horizon to mind. They're, tra- they're day trading them, right? right? So if you're day trading Joby or Desktop Metal or really future tech companies, Virgin uh, Galactic, I mean, just think about those three companies, Flying Cars, VTOLs, 3D Printing Metals, and I have Desktop Metal position. I still have my Desktop Metal position. And then uh virgin galactic you know space tourism these are really futuristic things these are we live in the future companies right you cannot buy those like and be looking at quarter to quarter data you got to be looking at decade to decade and it does make a lot of sense for there to be a vehicle to do that i just wonder like did the SPACs end up being somewhat abused um we'll see um you know we had the trump SPAC, right so people started saying hey this is just an easy way to grip and if you look at this the the trump (laughs) what's it called truth trumpet whatever the, uh, 
Well, yeah, was, the, the thing had a name, Digital World, blah, blah, blah. And then there was they, a story that came out yesterday that said every single one of the board of directors has been issued a federal subpoena. All of them related to the SPAC. Yeah. Like related so, to what is was effectively appears to be alleged financial malfeasance. Yeah. Polestar was a SPAC, says Justin. Yeah. I didn't um, know that. So, yeah, this uh, Digital World Acquisition Corporation. Yeah, that uh, is the is name good. of the SPAC. I remember. Yeah. So now it's down to this one had actually held up because remember it had gone up to $90 a share, $94, $97 a share as recently as March 4th. Their market cap is now 907, but it was three, four times that. So this thing had a very, very big market cap at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, going public is great if people are enthusiastic about your company. And then if the enthusiasm wanes and your performance is not great, you don't ship the cars. You know, uh, it's really, really, um, um, you you live by the sword, you die by the sword. As quickly as people can get excited and buy the shares, they can dump the shares that easily. Whereas in private companies, you don't really have the opportunity to dump the shares. Um, yeah. As we just saw with the, you know, some of the stories previously about crypto, like this whole ma machination needs to happen, where you figure out how you're going to uh, keep the company running, and it's all these private market investors. So just looking at the data and the, the clock running out. Um, 118 companies are in definitive agreements. Um, that amounts to 22 billion of the 181 billion of the combined trust of these SPACs. It means 591 are still searching um, for companies. That represents 158 billion uh, looking for companies to take public. 37 of those, according to Bloomberg, uh, who has all this data and has done the research. Um, have less than 100 days before they need to return the capital. So the clock mm. is ticking on 37 of the 709 active SPACs. 93 have uh, 100 to 200 days. So, you know, you're, you're going to start to see every six months, some of these things get canceled and the clock will run out and they won't have inventory. Um, the vast majority of them uh, raise between 100 and $500 million. Uh, and there are still seven of these SPACs of more than a billion hunting. And, and we should... Yeah, I mean, it, I think it would be fair to say that when to point out that when SPACs were conceived and Shamath was one of the early conceivers, is my understanding, we had a pretty spicy interview on Marketplace about it back in the day. Um, that, but the, one of the things that SPACs were created to solve for was the short termism, right? Like the yeah. idea that, like you said, not every company should be measured in this kind of quarter by quarter performance, that it's all that there could be a public market mechanism that's almost closer to venture. The ability to fund something that is an idea and potentially a great one. Mm. And then because there were not regulations around this, one that allowed it to exist, right? It could have been regular SPACs could have been regulated out of existence before they went anywhere. And that might have been bad. But because there weren't any really compared to IPOs, the promoters then found themselves in this position where they could take these huge deal fees and then only ended up buying super insignificant portions of the company, like there were some where the promoters would take a $50 million fee, but mm -hmm. only acquire 1% of a $500 million company. So their deal fee would be 10 times higher than what they invested in the company. And all of that sort of combined, I think, the, the deal fees, the lower quality of the companies, the lack, again, much like mm -hmm. crypto, the lack of transparency into how these things work combined to, to sort of maybe like put this stink on it, when it could have been a really important innovation and might still be. Yeah. And, you know, you have all of these unicorns that 
you know, our private companies in tech. Most of these SPACs work with tech companies, obviously. That's what the public was interested in. That's the inventory people want. So Crunchbase has over 1,300 unicorns. They represent over 780 billion dollars. Okay, so you you put those two numbers against each other. You know, there's basically almost a SPAC for every one of these unicorns if some of them are not, in fact, unicorns. And so you, I think that's an important question. Like, why would people not want to go public? Like, it's a great way to get money. You get that money. I think the problem is it could cause chaos for your company because now your company is publicly traded. You have all the expense of being a publicly traded company and now you have all the scrutiny and then your employees are looking at a $1 or $2 share price and your company's worth 500 million or a billion. And in the private markets, it was worth double or triple that. Uh, and you could quietly build without scrutiny. Mm -hmm. So the scrutiny mm -hmm. works both ways, you know, getting all that attention yep. could result in liquidation. The other thing that's going to be very interesting here is, I think, um, maybe it's another counter theory, if the market does, you know, uh, I, I believe the market is bouncing along the bottom right now. And, you know, yeah, we could still pull back 20%, but we could pop up 20%. It's going to be like this sort of bouncing along the bottom phenomenon as people try to figure out which companies are going to survive, which companies are going to thrive, and which ones are going to shut down. Maybe there is a case that some of these unicorns are actually pretty strong, but they can't get private market funding and actually they can cut better deals with the promoters because if the clock is ticking, the promoter loses the $10 million it costs to set this up. That, that's got to sting a little bit and all that work and time. Maybe they could go and negotiate harder with the SPAC promoters, uh, give them less carry, give them less shares yeah. um, and basically have the upper hand because if these are all running out, then they, they could grind these promoters down to whatever they want i think if you're a strong company uh when yeah. you go public so um the market is you know this is one of the great things about a free market is um it kind of sorts itself out and even in a down market like this there's opportunities and mm -hmm. so this might be an opportunity for some company that wants to go public to use one of these facts and that money's sitting there and mm -hmm. but it, without consumers wanting to buy these companies you know you don't have the um the bag holders right and so you yeah. don't have the buy side, which means, you know, the stock is just going to slowly get liquidated as all the insiders who are working at these companies who are early investors clear their positions might be a great way to start investing. I mean, if, if you think about it, if these, if all these companies were public, these unicorns, mm -hmm. and they're all trading below value, you can freely trade them and have liquidity. That's like a really cool feature. I mean, people have, meant it. well, people have talked for a, a while, Molly, about having a public exchange a more fluid exchange in private companies so what if you could trade private yeah. companies every month so on the 15th of the month you know every private company stripe etc had an offering and a price was determined and you know everybody could just trade in and out of it what if that happened weekly well here what if it happened daily i mean uh, like, like a, a stock market kind of like thing? a stock market like a, but yeah but with less insight into the performance of the company yeah i mean and with private companies you they could just represent some top line numbers and buyer beware yeah. if you're buying into private companies you know what you're buying into you have less rights you know you have less insights but it's your money you know yeah uh, so people buying into SPACs I, I said from the beginning you have to understand you're buying into very speculative companies and you have to be in them for the long term so if you really did believe in desktop metal Joby Virgin Galactic and it gets crushed mm -hmm. you would want to own more of the company as you know Whatever happened to the long-term stock exchange? That was the Eric Reese project. Yeah, I don't know if they should get actually... him on and check in on that because I can't remember what. Yeah, I don't know if they're trading it that way. 
Um, it just raised a hundred million dollars today. Are you serious, Justin? Interesting. Am I psychic? Yeah, I am psychic. Confirmed. So I guess Twilio and Asana are part of the long-term stock exchange, and I guess they, um, when you make a deal to do those, you make a deal with a company to hold your shares longer. Right, is the concept. So you know, I, I still like his idea, um, but I wonder if consumers want it. I understand why businesses would want long-term shareholders, but it just huh. maybe it's overly complicated. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, you know, sort of closer to, in theory, how most financial advisors tell people to invest, which is just like, make bets and hold them. This is fascinating. It literally raised 100 or, or uh, it was in the, the ticker today. Yeah. Courtesy of producer Justin uh, raised $100 million from James Walton, part of the Walton family. Uh, interesting. That is fascinating. All right. We should have Eric back on maybe to talk about this because I yeah, have absolutely. long thought that this was super interesting, but also not totally clear where he's going to go. Top four performers in SPACs uh, recently MP Materials, up 259%. CEO Jim Latinsky uh, was at the All In Summit. You remember him talking about minerals. Yeah, High Peak Energy great. up 189%. He was like, Schmoff yeah, I bought a mine. Sure. Cerevel, Therapeutics up 184. Lucid Motors up 80%. Uh, 26 D SPACs are now down for down more mm -hmm. than 90% uh, over 60 are down more than 80%. So that's just carnage. And yeah, I mean, if you want to play VC as a public market participant, as a retail investor, if you want to play VC, <laughs> there's a reason why it's hard to get in VC and it's hard to keep your gig in VC. It's a hard, it's a hard business. And you know, you need to have 20, 30 bets. And you need to get in at the right price. And here, maybe people got in at the wrong price, and maybe they had three or four bets. And maybe they're looking at a one-year window, not a 10. So, yeah. I think people are treating these, like, public companies with much more proven, you know. And yet, that's the thing. Consumers were not educated onto how speculative these are. But I bet you there's going to be some winners in those ones that are down 90% or 80%. Yeah. Some of them are going to go well, private for sure. Some winners in the ones that are up, too. I yeah. mean. Small number that are, yeah. I'm starting to see um, lucids in the wild. And every time I do, I get really excited because they're so freaking futuristic looking. The uh, EVs. Um, let's keep talking about venture funding, shall we? Because yes. uh, a possible bloodbath developing there. VC funding is down to its lowest levels since 2020. A Bloomberg article yesterday gave some um, detail from CB Insights from Q1 to Q2 using data just through June, June 23rd. So we should note that that could change a little bit as the month actually rounds out. But it was a, you know, the, the top line here is it was a, a deeper drop than they expected from Q1 to Q2. The number of global VC deals dropped 23% from 9,000 to 6,900. The total amount That's of dollars. Q1 of 2022 to yeah. Q2. Just Not year over year, literally year like year. last quarter yeah. to this quarter. Yeah. And exactly. then the total amount of dollars invested in startups dropped 27%. They didn't specify the total dollar amount, but they did note that it's the late stage startups that are getting hit the hardest of funding course. in series D rounds or beyond dropped 43%. Yes. So that's the new market participants, <sighs> the Tiger Globals coming in, paying whatever price, not really being too discerning. Those people are out of the market. Um, and so that's why the percentage of dollars is down so much. Makes total sense. Um, and PitchBook will have their uh, Q2 at some point in July, and we have a good relationship with them. We'll break that down when they release their data. Yeah. Um, 
And then when we um, noted that we were going to talk about this on the show today, Overlooked BC founding partner Brandon Brooks on Twitter replied and said, Overlooked VC is Overlooked not VC a descriptor. Is, That's the right. name of his fund. It's the name of the fund. Yes, totally. I mean, it just, <laughs> yeah. When you say it in a sentence. It's true. It really does sound just like some nouns, but in fact, yeah. I mean, it's both. Poor Brandon is very overlooked. No, he's, his firm is called Overlooked yes. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And Got said uh, in response to us, just in time. Uh, would love someone to address the outsized slowdown for black founders as well. The latest stats say only 1.2% of venture capital has gone to black founders year to date. Yeah. Is there anything uh, that can be done? He asked to help the slow progress we've mm. seen over the last year continue as in there has been progress. It was very slow. Are Is this going to be one of the first places that funding drops off? Um, and in, in fact, a few weeks ago, there was an article in Fast Company titled after a brief streak Venture capital has ditched black startups. Um, yeah. So these numbers, you, are, you know, it's it's hard to parse the numbers um, perfectly here. Um, the definitions really matter because uh, some people will play games with: is the founder uh, a person of color, or is there a person of color on the founding team, uh, or are there three or four founders? And what defines an actual founder? So if a founder has 1% and they happen to be black and the other two founders have 25%, are they actually a founder or not? So there's a lot of detail work here that can be manipulated. Um, and I get an up close and personal uh, view of that sometimes when people are sharing their statistics. But uh, it sounds like you're saying that that would get manipulated to the upside, suggesting more investment in black founders depending, than there actually is, which is not a good story. <laughs> Well, Either. no, it depends. <laughs> it depends on uh, which side of the table you're on and what your agenda is in many cases. So let's say an accelerator that wants to have great numbers, they might look at, um, I think I told my team uh, to say like, just make sure the founder owns more than if, if you're counting somebody as a co founder, uh, I think 5% uh, is a minimum, um, you know, maybe 10% is at the earliest stages of a startup, of course, when companies when they exit, you know, all the founders of his three founders might own five to 10%. So I'm talking about very early when founders have a bigger piece. Um, and then on the other side, people will look at the dollars. And the problem with the dollars, as opposed to the deals, I would encourage people to look at the early stage deals, if you want to look for the trend, because the trend will be seen first in early stage deals, you can't have an underrepresented group close a series E, because those happen in year five if you know, we're looking at this or close their third fund. So what you have to look at is of new funds of first time fund managers of seed stage companies, what is the uh, percentage look like? Uh, in turn, yeah, look at what is the percentage look like of, you know, early stage founders, let's say series A and before or seed and before, that's where you'll see the trend happen, you're not going to see the trend in the dollar number, because typically, when we do these quarterly reports, mm -hmm. one huge deal like a Coinbase deal, or uh, an Uber or an Airbnb private deal or a Stripe private deal, those things can be a third of the money. So they really can um, throw the statistics. The dollars so, can be distorting, but would the you, dollars you, would distort it as opposed to the just number? I deals. suspect though that you yeah. wouldn't dispute that black founders receive a disproportionately smaller share of venture dollars. And that while sure. there may have been progress, it would be sad to see that progress go away. Of course, yes, these two things can be true at the same time. Um, and then there is um, the issue of, you know, I think a lot of folks are saying, I should be able to raise in my first fund from Harvard's endowment or this endowment. And I've talked about this on the show. 
though, you know, Yale or Harvard or those places, um, they want to see three or four funds worth of data before they take on a new fund manager. When you're doing a new fund, you do high net worth individuals, and maybe the long tail of family offices. That's typically how this is done for white males. And for every other, uh, you know, category of fund managers. So you can't kind of jump that uh, process because those large institutions have a process where they add one new fund manager a year, two new fund managers a year. Um, and I think there's a lot of hand wringing about that. Like, why isn't this giant endowment just putting money into work in these new funds? Uh, it's just never how they've done it. They want they need to see three years, four years before they get past their board of directors, their investment boards. So if you're on your first fund, you can't expect to have Harvard in there. They've never done that. Uh, or CalPERS, whoever. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure what to do with that information. It sounds like, I mean, right? Like true. And yeah. also there have been new mechanisms for uh, underrepresented founders and CEOs to raise money. Are you saying that those are going to go away? No, uh, the... The, you, we've seen more new funds that more new funds have been started in the last two or three years than probably in the last 20. So we right. have a, so a, a massive boon of new fund managers who, you know, are not white guys from Stanford and Harvard. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of that. The other issue will be, uh, I'm just telling you the, the nuances of the, of the numbers and the story. Oh, yeah. Totally. I get it. But yeah, yeah. I, I would say at some point, we don't want to be arguing for like why that's the case and will always be the case and should be the case, right? The question is, is, has this small uptick in funding? Are you saying that the small uptick in funding doesn't exist or isn't a real, wasn't a real trend to start with? I think there's like, been I'm a real trend. Sure how to of, parse this in a way that leads to yeah. positive provocation and, and my more funding for underrepresented founders. Yeah. yeah. My theory of what's happened is, because this has been such a prominent issue for the last decade, we've seen a lot of new fund managers funded. Yep. And I think a lot of people are going to wait and see how those fund managers do before mm -hmm. giving them larger funds. That is the normal process. So there, that is going to be one of the issues. There is another right. issue, which people don't want to talk about, which is if you start a fund and you limit who you're going to invest in, that is not particularly attractive to people seeking a return. Mm -hmm. So if you start a fund, to only invest in a certain demographic, fund managers I've talked to, uh, who would never say this publicly, I'm talking about LPs, they don't like that strategy. Mm -hmm. They want you to meet with every person possible and place the best bets possible. So when you create a fund that's only going to invest in a certain group of people, the sad truth is LPs are maybe going to put a token amount towards that. And that's mm -hmm. literally how they look at it. Like, I know this is cynical, but maybe like they checked a box, like I did my part, I gave a little bit of money to this, but I actually don't believe in that strategy. And they won't mm -hmm. say that publicly. And so that's part of what's going on behind the scenes. I'm not saying I endorse any of this. I'm just trying to be honest about the back channel that I see. It was really um, interesting, actually, when we had Monique Woodard on, one of the things she talked about was that she would meet with LPs who were, there's, the, there is like a, the, there is a need to check the to the box. Yes. And that she talked about having LPs who were frustrated that she was not only investing in black founders or underrepresented founders because they wanted, I think at the time I said, oh, they wanted the twofer, right? They wanted to yes. get credit for both of those things yeah. at the same time, investing in uh, a black venture capitalist and also by extension investing in all. And she was like, actually, I plan to make the most money possible and invest in everybody I possibly can. And they were like, oh, Henry Pierre Jacques. <laughs> 
from Harlem Capital, great name, uh, said on Twist that they're focused on underrepresented founders. But if Zuckerberg walks in the door, they're not going to pass just because he's white. And he was sort of upfront about this. So this is, I think, one of the hard conversations. Uh, Monique had the opposite with some LPs, where, you know, people want to do the right thing. Some mm -hmm. people want to do it just to check a box. And then the nature of what we do is we're judged ultimately on our returns. So now, no matter what people say to you, no matter what they say on Twitter, at the end of the day, the reality is this is going to be based on numbers for yeah. all of us. And will certain people get the benefit of the doubt? Will certain people start on second base? Will certain people have a fraternity brother or sorority sister do them a solid and squeak them in ahead of time or get them a bigger allocation? Of course, the world's unfair. Nobody's saying it's not. Um, but ultimately, the numbers are the numbers. And so what we've seen is there are some women in the industry because 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about how underrepresented women were in the industry. There are some women who crushed it who now have billion dollar funds. Mm -hmm. And so there, there, and I think two of the largest funds recently were, were both started founded by new funds were founded by women. So there is this, let's call it 10 years, mm -hmm. 15 years of this delay uh, that we will see in which fund managers actually were able to make it happen and which ones didn't make it happen. And you know, it's very random strategies matter, timing matters, luck matters. Yeah, I am fully confident that we're going to see a, a large group of people uh, who are underrepresented raise billion dollar funds 10 years from now, but it is going to be a 10 year process. And that's how these LPs work. When they turn me down, when they turn Arlen Hamilton down, when they turn everybody in between down, they will basically have the same story. We want to get to know you for three funds. Yeah, that's it. And I listen to Arlen's, uh, you know, um, podcasts, and I've had her on the show and we're friendly. Uh, I don't know if we're friends, we don't like hang out socially. Uh, but we're friendly. And, uh, you know, we get into it sometimes. But she was just lamenting how like LPs have not shown up for her. Mm -hmm. But she has had a lot of LPs. And she she actually called them out by name on her pod, uh, which was mm. highly not interesting. I've never seen that before uh -huh. in the history of venture capital. So um, but these are large LPs. And so, you know, she is kind of publicly challenging them to step up. So maybe yeah. there is something to you know, what she's saying is like, well, why won't a large endowment take more risk and make this change happen faster? And, you know, she might have a point there. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, I think you have to because I think all of that is 100% true. And math, you know, as I have written on a post it and I'm keeping next to my bed and thinking mm -hmm. about all the time, math is a harsh mistress. Like, uh -huh. the truth about math is real. Yeah. And also, some people will be bailed out by their LPs or extended further benefit of the doubt yeah. than others. So when there is a pullback, it is very likely, and this is, I think, what people are pointing out, that uh, underrepresented investors and or founders may get less of that extension. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like what Arlen is saying in some ways is, yeah, hi, I'm one of yeah. them, right? Um. Yeah, and I, I have sympathy for her. She, you know, she puts it out there. And it is hard to be a fund manager, because you could have a fund that doesn't perform, you could get a lot of just like founders get a lot of no's, man, the number of no's I've gotten, and the number of, you know, two meetings, three meetings in with the largest endowments in the world for them to say, hate to say this to you. We know you're Jason Calaganis. We know you wrote the book on angel investing. We know you have the podcast. We know you hit Uber and Calm and this and that. Uh, we couldn't get there this time. 
we know that will like literally we know that might upset you and you may not let us in next time because we know you're not going anywhere and you're going to be successful but we can only allocate a certain amount to venture we're over allocated we're saying no to a lot of high quality people we're really sorry mm-hmm. um like literally people were nervous to say no to me i can hear it in their voices and these are like not you know de minimis people in the world these are like senior people and you know they're like we have to answer to this group of people we have this board we have this committee we get to bring them you know two or three new requests a year and we're getting a lot of no's um and we're they're asking us to liquidate stuff and you know yada 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 so yeah, totally um there are lots i would just say there are lots of uh, realities at play here i my best advice for folks is to not give up and to go the syndicate route if you're so good that you can just pull together these syndicates and you can say i found a great company and you can email 100 people I, I, and I don't want to tell people that their suffering isn't real or that the world is unjust. I'm just telling you the path that I think is the, the clearest, clearest path. So just to be clear here, because I know white guy giving advice to everybody might be taken a certain way. Uh, and I'm not just saying like work harder, but work harder. <laughs> it is literally like if you hustle and you do these syndicates, it is such a clear path because all you need to do is get a hundred people to give you five thousand dollars and now you got a 500k investment that's completely possible mm-hmm. uh whereas convincing the giant you know 10 billion dollar 20 billion dollar endowment you have to get so much buy-in from so many people and they just might not like you yeah and arlen said this like maybe it's me you know what arlen maybe it's me too you know like I, we're very similar in I, that we're outspoken people people may not want to associate with arlen or me or other outspoken people with sharp elbows who say who get in fights with Palmer Lucky or, you know, who are outspoken and have a podcast every day, they may not want to take that on, they may want a quieter person. Mm-hmm. But you know, you just got to put it in their faces. That's what I do. That's my approach. I still got a chip on my shoulder. I know Arlen's got a chip on her shoulder. I'm her le- level of energy and dedication to her founders is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And I think the world will rally around her $5,000 checks at a time just like it has for me, you know, uh, and y- she's undeniably talented. And so I wish her the best and keep your chin up. I, she was saying she was a little down on her podcast. I, yeah, everybody, I mean, the context here, which we didn't say is that she had to lay off almost all of her team. Oh, sorry about that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, at backstage, like, and almost, she's been through this, I think 17 times. to three is, is from down from 12 staff yeah. to three, so. which is absolutely brutal it's brutal yeah and th- we're gonna see this over and over and she said she's also burnt out so take care of yourself first and foremost you know uh, arlen and when you come up for air happy to have coffee and talk strategy anytime you have my number um and i am 100 certain she will remain an incredible force in the industry and sometimes you take a step back or two steps back and then you come back and you just lap the whole pack and all it takes is one all it takes is one so she's got 200 companies one of those is going to pop and, and the whole narrative changes. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe it's the 201st company. And that's what I, that's how I think about this. Because mm. I, I mean, looking back, like, did I know I had a feeling about calm, I had a feeling about density. But if you told me like a cab app and a stock trading app that was free and an email competitor Gmail that was a dollar a day and a meditation app, these were going to be my big winners. I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. Right. So I think this is the time, you know, be resilient and just keep doing the work. And 
keep placing those bets. Man, the, the combat is the one that comes to mind for me. That was a $376,000 bet. I mean, $376,000, not a lot of yeah. money in venture. Yeah, It's a nine-figure position. It's over $100 million in value. You hit one of those, the world cannot deny you. You know, Forget about the Ubers, you know. You hit one of those 250K slugs, uh, becomes a unicorn, marron. You know, this is a big deal. It can mm -hmm. become a big deal. And then you know what? You don't need anybody. I'm putting up two fingers here. I'm pointing with my pointing fingers. You don't need anybody. This That's one of the great things about this industry. You just need those 100 LPs. Um, and she's got a syndicate. So everybody should join her syndicate. Just do a Google search for Backstage Capital uh, Syndicate. Join her syndicate. Subscribe. Uh, and uh, I wish her the best of luck. And yeah, it's going to be a hard time. A lot of people are going to go through hard stuff right now. This is another public service. Very true. I feel it necessary to say right now. I know it's easy to dunk. I am a super critical, candid person. I am very judicious with the dunks. I do not dunk on people just because they failed. If, if I'm yeah. going to dunk on somebody, it's like Elizabeth Holmes because they did something abhorrent or tether because I feel like they're doing something you know that is uh, unnecessarily opaque. You don't see me, or I might dunk on crypto bros, bros saying, have fun being poor and being gnarly, but you, you just be careful dunking, you know? It's like a really dark time right now, and this is people's real lives, you know? And, yeah, and, uh, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little emotional myself about this. I have strong feelings about it, you know? Um, it's a, it's a it's, legit, I mean, you're stressed out about us and your company and your team, too. Yeah. Like, everybody is terrified of that exact thing happening. Yeah. And so we, it is only love and sympathy for those to whom it is already happening because any of us, you know, there, but for the grace of God. Yeah. I mean, I am 51. I've seen this movie three times. Yeah. I prepared both my companies for it years ago. I communicated that to our team. We're going to stay small. We're going to stay nimble. We're not going to have some huge burn rate. I'm not going to raise a ton of money and have this, you know, get ahead of my skis. I'm going to keep these things very tight, focused SWAT teams at inside and launch. And yeah, now I'm like, okay, let's just be super focused going into the storm. Let's make sure we batten down the hatches. Let's make sure we got our provisions. We'll be fine. You know, but you know, it's, it's, uh, not everybody has that luxury. I have that luxury after two or three wins under my belt that I can, I mean, I could fund my companies myself personally. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have like a backstop to a backstop to a backstop. Um, but not everybody has that much, uh, you know, if they're in the start of their career. So yeah. be kind to people and, you know, we live in the future. So there's always this amazing thing. The good news is the future is always coming. The future is always tomorrow. All right. We live in the future. We're going to end a on a cool one. note. I'm cool just note. like. <laughs> the whole show was like things coming apart. Do you realize <laughs> that? Like, it was like, here's everything going down. But this is yeah. where the opportunity is. But this is where the Another opportunity mini is. Speech. My Lord, we're seeing great companies. 57 companies. My team did first meetings with us. Like, we're open for business. Mm -hmm. We want to invest in companies at the right price with the right management teams, with a great product, with great customers, maybe 25 to 250K a month in revenue. That's our sweet spot. Reach out to Molly Wood. Reach out to Let's Jason freaking go. Let's go, people. Let's I'm looking to do two deals a week. Freaking I'm looking go. for deals. Just have some traction. Some traction. Just, <laughs> like, just, just something. I beg you. Just like a little bit. Just a little traction that we can help you accelerate. Okay. Can it go from and $8 in other to words, $12 nope. to $22? That's, that's growth. <laughs> no, I mean, it is interesting, you know, right. people with to to belabor the point even more, you know, the the people who were like, Oh, you have 25k a month in revenue. Oh, you're, you're doubling it every six months. That's cute. Oh, you're gonna get to, you know, uh, you know, 100k a month in revenue next year from 25k this year, you're gonna 4x it. Oh, that's very cute. 
those companies that were dismissed because they weren't, you know, writing white papers or talking some big game. Those are the companies people now are like, tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, you're gonna go from 25 to 100k a month in revenue? Could you get to 150? Do you think? Great. What's your burn? Oh, wait, you hit profitability last month? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Oh, really? Oh, tell me more. <laughs> now, if you put a million dollars into that company, you're like, well, this person is really, you know, good at spending money. They spend money wisely. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a cool person to give money to. And you have the downside protection. They could make cuts that get them to break even their default alive. So yeah, uh, for the founders who are grinding it and have actual revenue, congratulations, this is your time. To the bullshit artists, mm, you're find another sucker. <laughs> yeah, you're find right another sucker. If you didn't get any revenue turned on. Mm. Yeah. yeah okay. We right. live in the future. Take so us anyway, this one. one of us could be finding and funding this uh, apparently real thing. I'm sure it's you saw real. it. It's Can't almost certainly not real. Um, anyway, but futurism.com posted this video, a concept video of a flying nuclear cruise ship mm -hmm. called Sky Cruise. I think that this was literally like posted Future. as an exercise in sci-fi imagining, but why not? Honestly, sure, we could use it. Filmmaker and producer Hashem El Ghaili uh, is best known for making infographics and videos about scientific breakthroughs. His YouTube account has almost 500,000 subscribers mm -hmm. and he vote uh, posted this clip which will play if you're watching us on youtube or on spotify <laughs> what i mean what's so awesome by the way about this video is how really made it look as a concept video yes feels like you know uh the beginning of a science fiction movie like it could be the fifth element or it could be you know uh yeah um uh snow piercer which i don't but yeah, yeah. Um, so what it looks like, if for those of you who are not watching, is it's kind of like a little bit Starship Enterprise meets um, maybe the Avengers plane yeah. floating thingy. And it's got a like a spinning sky deck and Crazy. it's a super beautiful luxury hotel and people are just standing by the windows as they like float over the sky. And I think in his video, he described 20 electric engines powered by a small nuclear reactor that uses a highly controlled fusion reaction so it's not fission based right which is the nuclear energy that we're all familiar with it's fusion based which is the nuclear energy that does not yet exist yes leading um, again to the you know but but what i love about this is you know i'm obsessed with fusion yeah because this is an imagining of what could happen in a world where you really truly had effectively unlimited energy yeah it's portable that you could put into a reactor like a tony stark heart yeah. And plug into a freaking floating luxury hotel. And, you know, we, we are seeing uh, a bunch of activity in transportation. Uh, obviously, SpaceX has talked about using their rockets for point to point travel. Uh, seems a little crazy. But, you know, after they, you know, they're, they're doing a large number of these um, rocket launches. And over time with reusability, you know, maybe it could be feasible that if you wanted to go from Texas to Tokyo or Sydney in an hour, you could literally take 300 people on the tip of a rocket. Uh, Boom Supersonic is doing, you know, bringing back the Concorde, essentially. Sergey uh, Bryn from Google has got an airship company, Lighter Than Air. You had Regency on Sunday, right? Um, was yep. it Regency? The, the Regent. The, Regent. Regent, sorry. Regent mm -hmm. doing um, ferries that fly 50 feet above the water. So, there's a lot going on in this space. Um, this seems insane because um, why would you want to stay in the air for f a year? It uh, doesn't make any sense. Um, how much 
risk would there be in something this big um you know flying around the world like it, it just seems unnecessary i don't know what the mission here is like and when i say mission not like a touchy-feely mission but like the actual like destination and goal like i don't want to be circling the globe for a year or a week i, I want to go somewhere and land and the, what size runway does this need to take off or land uh, but it did remind me of two science fiction moments number one the fifth element had uh, a ship like this mm -hmm. uh, that was a pleasure cruise like so these like are like cruise ships mm -hmm. yeah like a barge and yeah. we can pull up an image of that maybe um and then um there was the aircraft carrier in the avengers right and the aircraft carrier in the avengers actually people wanted to build something like that specifically to launch drones so i think the defense department is working on you know something like that yeah something like a a a, a, a float and uh, an airborne uh, aircraft carrier so other mm -hmm. planes could fly off of it um but again you need to have a lot of power to keep these things up in the air i mean it's yes awesome. it's it's interesting um you are hilarious i love how you're like we live in the cruises. future and then you're like i have a lot of questions about this bs right here i'm not well, buying this <laughs> I, I mean i do like the idea of electric engines i think that's going to be great we're going to have those in uh cape air bought some electric airplanes um and then regent has electric so i think electric engines is one component of this uh -huh. um fusion and then, is know, the other I, fusion's the other interesting one and the thing i don't like about these is um i hate cruises i have a couple of rules you know no buffets no all you can eat no cruises these are things that I find abhorrent. I never want to experience. I don't want to be at an all-you-can-eat buffet, people touching the food. It's not for me. All-you-can-eat sushi. So this really is just an anti-cruise situation. I'm anti-cruise. And this to the gave me cruise vibes. Idea of conceptualizing what could happen with portable yeah. nuclear fusion reactors that you can plug yeah. into and have this yeah. wonderful thing. And all Jason can think is like norovirus, 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 norovirus. I just don't That's want. Fair. That's fair. I don't like I'm gonna the give it gen. I, I don't like large crowds around food i like great food served intimately you know bespoke crafted it could be barbecue it could be omakase but no no on the big buffet fifth element cruise ship was that was really nice though i do like fifth element all right if you have any ideas for we live in the future <laughs> you find any interesting videos or stuff like that on reddit or you know we on the say we want to live in this specific future but Tell us more about the future. You can send oh my them God. to us. Send them to us. Producers. My personal hell. <laughs> yeah, no. Pretty good. <laughs> Fogo de Chao on a cruise ship served by TikTok employees. <laughs> Which that is, would of be, course, the Brazilian meat I actually meat went to a Fogo de Chao. Mm -hmm. And there was one cut of meat I found great. I, The idea of going and eating all the meat you can and getting the meat sweats and like, having it's to disgusting. not eat for like my friends were like yeah we're not going to eat for two days we're going to fast and then we're going to go there and do all this stuff and then at fogo de chow you have a it's card one side's red one side's green so if you want meat you flip the green card up if you don't want to be bothered with more meat in your face like slicing just they're just constantly assaulting you with different cuts of meat it's over the top why are you laughing? Why you're <laughs> laughing? It's just not, it's not for me. You might love it. I All right. do not want. We are <laughs> out. We have more amazing uh, content coming, coming for you. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. I'm going to chat about markets with uh, Michael, Batnick, and Josh Brown. 
subscribe on YouTube by going to thisweekinstartups.com slash YouTube. So we're going to do a live crossover collab. We're going to answer some questions about the markets. And Molly, you have that's going to be a fun one. I've got an up. interview coming up that I've been trying to book for ages. I'm so excited. Thank you, producer Rachel, for making this happen. Ohm Connect co-founder Matt Dusterberg is uh, this really interesting company that is, you know, TLDR, say, paying people to save energy. If you have questions for that, that's coming up on This Week in Climate Startups. But tweet at me before 2 p.m. on Wednesday at Mollywood. It's just mm. my name. We're going to do a lot of interviews this summer. So if you have ideas for founders, uh, investors, or scientists, or authors you would like us to have for the, the summer series, as it were, uh, for when you're at the beach and you want us to hear us interview somebody, producers at thisweekinstartups.com. We'll see, see you, you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, it's time for the plugs. If you would like to join our Twitter community, where we have a little private community of 1500 of us, you go to thisweekinstartups.com slash TC, thisweekinstartups.com slash TC. That's the Twitter community. If you want to join the Discord community, there's about a 1000 people hanging out there too. thisweekinstartups.com slash Discord. If you want to watch the show live every day, at about 10am, you need to turn on notifications on YouTube, thisweekinstartups.com slash YouTube. So slash TC for the Twitter community slash Discord for the Discord and slash YouTube for our YouTube community. Hit the subscribe button, then click the bell and you'll get in here live. You get to chat with us while we record the show. There's about 20% extra show uh, every day on YouTube that we don't publish to the feed. So you get to have a little bit more of a casual conversation with Molly and I follow Molly. She's Molly Wood on Twitter and I'm Jason on the Twitter. You can uh, email producers at thisweekinstartups.com if you want to support the show or have ideas for great interviews and guests. The show's Twitter handle is TWI Startups. Also, founder.university is starting up again. This is our 12-week program. It's essentially free if you come to all 12 weeks and we teach you how to start a company. We also have Angel University that I teach three times a year or so. Angel.university for information on that. Also, my other startup inside has launched a job board, you can help me out by posting a job at inside.com slash jobs. And if you go to inside.com slash jobs, and you post a job there, I might just retweet it for you and you'll help you get that position filled. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye bye.